Support for The Real Pink Podcast comes from Lily Oncology. People living with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, deserve more. Lily Oncology aims to bring more awareness of MBC through more education, more research, and more dedicated solutions to support the women and men living with MBC and the communities that surround them. Learn more at the More for MBC Facebook page. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Today, it's estimated that at least 168,000 people in the U.S. have stage four or metastatic breast cancer. Although metastatic breast cancer cannot be cured, it can still be treated. If you've been diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, there are many ways to stay active in the breast cancer community. Getting involved can be personally rewarding and can impact the lives of others. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Rachel Pecoraro. Rachel, so nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you too, Adam. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me on the show. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story and some of your thoughts on this. Uh, So let's just dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yes. So I am 38 years old and I am married. I've been happily married for 19 years now and we have a four-year-old daughter. And back in July, of, well, it's probably June of 2017, I felt a lump in my breast, in my left breast that felt like a chocolate covered almond is the best way I could describe it. And it was right on the edge of kind of your armpit almost, you know, and, and the side of your breast. And at first, I kind of didn't really think much about it, but something, you know, still told me go to the doctor. Actually, I'd been traveling with my boss that week. I used to be a district manager in retail. I was going on vacation the following week, and she was like, Rachel, you know, please make sure you just go get that checked out. So I'd had cysts in the past in my breast, but of course, those tend to change size, they can move. And so when we, I made my appointment for my OBGYN for July 5th, when we were on vacation every day, honestly, I kind of kept touching it to see if it was moving, changing shape. And my mother-in-law had also had breast cancer prior. You know, she felt the lump, but mine was much larger than hers. So in her mind, she really didn't think anything about it in all honesty. So when we returned, um, I did go to my OBGYN and she thought it was a cyst. And she said, why don't we try to drain it? And I said, okay. And for whatever reason that morning, I, I didn't say it out loud. I didn't say it to anybody else, but I knew in my heart for some reason it was cancer and it just hit me that day. So she tried to drain it and she warned me that there could be some green goop. Don't worry, don't freak out. And when she went to go drain it, blood came out instead. In my mind, I was like, okay, that kind of reiterated what I was feeling a little. She said, don't worry. I still really think that this is a cyst, but I want you to go see the breast doctor. I took my best friend with me because I was in so much pain from the attempted drainage the first time. They came in and they did an ultrasound. Immediately, she looked at me and said, this is an assist. She didn't say what it was, but she said, this is an assist. And then the breast specialist, who is Dr. Watchsmith here in Marietta, Georgia, and who I adore, she came in. At the end of that visit, she looked at me and said, honey, I'm 90% sure this is breast cancer. I'm extremely sorry. Within the next 24 hours, you need to go get a mammogram. 
And I was 35 years old at the time. So I'd never had a mammogram. So um, I rushed and went and got my mammogram the next day. I could tell, you know, the, the lady who was doing my mammogram told me that she too had been a breast cancer patient. So I kind of felt like they were trying to hype me up or get me ready for something. The radiologist came out and she said, I wouldn't normally tell a patient this, but I've been in contact with your doctor and I know what she's told you. And what I see is pretty conclusive with what she's seen. So the following day, which was a Friday, I had my biopsy and they biopsied the breast. And then they also biopsied a lymph node in my armpit. Then the following Friday, we went back for my biopsy results. And of course, my husband attended that one. And that was when she, you know, confirmed that I had invasive ductal carcinoma and it was triple negative hormone cancer. And of course, I had no clue that even hormones honestly played a part in cancer or breast cancer at that point. If you don't know about triple negative hormone, it is one of the most, or it is the most aggressive hormone type of cancer. And it is in most, most often younger women. It's often African-American women. And it also is the one they have the least amount of treatments for. Back then, which was only 2017, you know, the, really the only options were to do chemo and lumpectomy, mastectomy, or to, and, and radiation. So fast forward to about two and a half weeks later, I was starting chemo. So the first chemo I did was, I believe the technical name is adromycin, but it's the red devil is what we refer to it as. Um, and it's red and it lives up to its name is what I will tell you. You know, I had four treatments of that, lost my hair within about, well, I shaved it first about 10 days in. I wanted to have the control over it in my personal opinion. And um, it was, it was heartbreaking, you know, I mean, and I had a 15 month old at the time. And unfortunately, I lost my mom to suicide when I was eight months pregnant with my daughter. You know, my thing was, I, I want to be here and fight this as long as I can and be here as long as I can for my child. So um, we went after it very aggressively. And the um, Red Devil, um, it did shrink the breast tumor. However, it was not really shrinking the lymph nodes at that point. So my next course of treatment was Taxol, and I did 12 of them. It did shrink the lymph nodes pretty decently. And then in January of 2018, I had a double mastectomy, which was my choice to do the double. Maybe two months later, because they wanted me to heal and, you know, kind of get my blood counts back up and everything. I started radiation. Um, I was given the choice of radiation because I did have a complete response. And then I went back to work and um, as a district manager at a different company. And I'm not going to lie, it was very tough. You know, I mean, I thought that I was prepared. Um, and really, I was thrown back in because of finances. I was our breadwinner. And um, of course, insurance paying for Cobra is very tough and all of those things. But I went back to work that July, I believe right after I finished radiation. And it was too soon, honestly, looking back. Um, and I also went back to a company that had a lot of expectations of working 20 hour days. And, um, you know, after 
a corporate visit um, where I prepped for seven days like that. And I, I looked at my boss and I said, I can't physically do this. So I went out on short-term disability, but because I'd only been there for a few months, um, you know, I wasn't eligible for much and they kind of fought me on it. I had to make a decision. I decided to go ahead and leave. I was waiting to return to work and I was actually going to change careers and go into dental as a dental office manager with the intent of moving up, but I knew I could not handle the stress of retail anymore and it was time to go. So in April I started of 2019, I started getting a lot of migraines and I've had migraines all my life. Honestly, I didn't really think much about it. We did my daughter's birthday. It was the weekend before Easter, I remember, and we did her birthday early because we didn't want to compete with Easter. And then that Monday, I had one of the worst migraines of my life. Um, looking back, it was a very different migraine. There was a lot of pressure at the back of my head. I was squeezing my head, you know, I mean, just no relief and that I couldn't get any relief. So the following morning, I really didn't have that much of a migraine. It was kind of a halo effect, you know, that I'm used to. And I dropped my daughter off at daycare. I signed her in and everything was fine. My co-director at the daycare said, Rachel, why don't you go up to urgent care? You know, they'll give you a migraine cocktail that should help you knock it out. And I was like, oh, I didn't know they would do that. I'm not going to the emergency room to fork out $600 for them to hand me an ibuprofen and a hydrocodone and send me home. You know, I've already got enough medical debt. <laughs> At that point, I drove to urgent care and it was only maybe 10 miles away from our house, but somewhere between here and there, something happened in my brain. When I went in and I went to go fill out my new patient paperwork, I could not write properly. Like in my head, I could see my name and my address, but if I was supposed to be putting my name right here, I was writing over here and it was like a dyslexic five-year-old honestly was filling out my paperwork. And I was on the phone with my sister-in-law who's an ER nurse. And I was like, Sarah, I can't write my name down. Like I, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, sometimes migraines can make you think that you're having a stroke, which I know is true. And she's like, just take your time and calm down. Um, and I was very sensitive to light, of course, had my sunglasses on and my hoodie pulled over my head. The lady at Urgent Care saved my life, honestly. You know, when I got back there, she said with my history, why did I wait 10 days? You know, I told her I've had migraines and honestly, it wasn't a 10 day migraine, it was coming and going. And so she sent me for a, a CT or an MRI on my brain that day. That was only about 10 miles from my house as well. And by the time I returned and pulled into my driveway, she called me. And she said, I'm sorry to tell you this over the phone, but I think that your, can your cancer is back and I'm pretty sure it's metastasized to your brain. You have two tumors in your brain that are centimeters large and um, one of them is causing baseball size swelling in the back of your brain. So you need to get to Kennestone Emergency Room. They've, I've already called, they're waiting for you and you need to get there as soon as possible. So of course I collapsed in my garage and I called my husband and asked where he was at and he said he was on his way home. And so I packed a bag because 
I had no clue what was going on. You know, I didn't know if they were doing open brain surgery. I didn't, I, I just had no clue. Yeah, absolutely. At all. They put me on copious amounts of steroids. They kept me in the hospital for three days. And then we found out that I had a tumor in my throat over here. I had lymphatic, you know, um, my lymph nodes across my auxiliary and chest were lighting up and um, they could not get me a PET scan ordered in the emergency room because apparently that's a very complicated thing to do at the ER. So there's lots of CTs, you know, all of those things. And they were trying to get my swelling down enough to send me home safely. I remember, you know, my husband left and to go get stuff the next morning to go home and, you know, grab some things. And my oncologist who I had my first cancer, Dr. Royola, um, who I love and adore as well, came in and showed me the rest of my body and where they were seeing the other cancer. When he walked out of the room, honestly, if I would have been at home, I think that would have been the moment where I would have like ripped the room apart. You know, I was having a severe panic attack at that point. Honestly, I was in pain and waiting for meds. And luckily, one of the nurses or one of the cleaning ladies walked in and saw this happen. And then uh, like 20 nurses come rushing in and my oncologist came in and yelled at everybody to go get me medicine and a Xanax and to get the hell out of my room. And um, of course, when my husband got back, he's like, of course, when I leave, this is when they come in and tell you this. And, you know, it's just the way it goes. So, um, so the following day they did release me. We decided that we needed to attack the brain first. So for those of you that don't know about brain mets, um, it's very tricky because when you have swelling in your brain, um, they've got to give you the steroids to get the swelling down. However, when you have um, radiation on the brain, that causes more swelling. So I had cyber knife surgery, I think the following Friday, I want to say. So like a week later, I had my first one. And um, basically you go in and they fit you for a mesh mask and they screw you down to a table and cyber knife is one of the um, it's one of the most or one of the newer most effective and safest treatments out there for um, brain radiation the it takes x-rays every few seconds and if you move it catches it and it moves with you um, so that they cannot radiate other parts of your brain that they're not supposed to. Um, and then the following Monday, we went back in and they did the other tumor, which was my largest one. And it was about an hour of radiation. It was probably about 30 minutes of actual radiation, but of course, getting you placed on the table, you know, and screwing you down and all that fun stuff. Um, so um, and then I was tested to see if I was PDL1 positive, and I was, and um, that made me eligible for um, immunotherapy at that point in time, which was the hot new thing. So I went on to Centrix and Abraxane, and I did the immunotherapy week one and week three, along with chemo. I did chemo week two, and then week four, I was off. And then we repeated basically at my three month checkup. Um, there was no evidence of active disease in the brain or the body. So um, that 
outlook was very good. And then at the six month checkup, unfortunately, we had two new brain tumors. And then I had a lovely um, tumor on the opposite side of the neck. And once again, throughout the lymphatic system. Um, and that was December of last year, I believe. Yeah, that was about December of last year. Um, and there was also something lighting up in my lungs. So we decided to go ahead and do the cyber knife again. And that was also in the same area of the brain, um, but in different spots um, as, as far as that went. Um, then um, we started on Gemzar and Carboplatinum as far as chemo goes, because once one treatment quits working when you're metatastic, then you just move on to the next. So um, then about six weeks later, I started feeling this weird thing in my ears and I've never had any ear issues. I've maybe had one ear infection in my entire life. And immediately I called my neuro doctor um, because I, I just learned don't mess with the brain anymore. And within six weeks, I had two new tumors in the front of my brain now. Yes. Um, luckily, they were three millimeters and four millimeters. So we went in and did those again, um, did CyberKnife. And um, um, I'm still on Jim's R and Carboplatin right now. At my six month checkup, um, I was no evidence of active disease again. Or uh, And then my last PET scan um, about four weeks ago, unfortunately was inconclusive. Um, it does not look like it's in any of my major organs, but once again, we've got some lymph nodes in the lung and heart area that are lighting up. So instead of waiting three months, we're doing another PET scan in two weeks, so six weeks instead. Um, and my next brain scan is next Friday. So um, Jim's are in Carboplatin. I've been on them since January. And um, this chemo I know is pretty rough on some people. It's actually been pretty good to me. As you can see, I've got some hair. I've got eyebrows and eyelashes, which I'm grateful for. And um, you know, I do one week on, one week off, and I have felt pretty good. Um, but I've been on chemo for 16 months now, steadily. So, of course, the cumulative effect is honestly starting to catch up a little bit. But you do what you can. So that's kind of my story in a very long version. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. That, that was uh, that's quite the roller coaster. Um, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share all that with us. Um, so tell me. You know, what do you want others to know about metastatic breast cancer? Yes. You know, I think that there is a, it's funny, just the other week, um, I ran into a friend and he was like, Rachel, you look great, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, I, I mentioned chemo and he's like, wait a minute, you're on chemo still? And I said, yep, I'm a lifer, you know? And I was like, until... I say no more or until they say that they can't do anything else for me with my particular, you know, triple negative hormone, I will be on something for the rest of my life. We can live with it, but there is no cure at this moment. Unfortunately for triple negative hormone patients, we don't have a pill that we can take um, like the other hormonal cancers which they have their own troubles and stories, of course, as well, but we don't have as many options, you know, so we just keep trying chemos and hopefully 
my thoughts and prayers are that we are going to come up with a cure, of course, or we find an immunotherapy or targeted therapy that can help more of us out there. Talk a little bit about how you've coped with the diagnosis. I mean, I know that you've got a young child. You went through a lot of this, her daughter at a very young age, right? So talk a little bit about how you've coped with that. Yeah, you know, I will tell you, honestly, I think I've probably done better this go around than my stage two for whatever reason. I think for me back then, um, like I said, I was our breadwinner, you know, so I was stressing all the time at that point about my career, about how we were going to do this financially, about losing my job, about if I could go back in and do this. And I learned that I'm much more of a control freak, I guess, than I honestly thought I was. I don't like to cry in front of others, or I used to not. Um, it's probably broken me of that at this point. But there were many times in the beginning where, I mean, my husband would leave and I would just collapse to the floor, crying, praying, you know, um, and I, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't know if I'd say I dealt with it as well, my first go around. And it was really that lack of control. I did take anxiety medicine, um, but I did not, I did not go to a psychiatrist and psychologist and looking back, I wish I would have back then. And I did, you know, I did use coping mechanisms in terms of like some Facebook groups I found that were triple negative hormone groups or under 40, you know, groups sort of thing. Um, I did write a lot and I have always been very open and that has been part of my gift back, I guess. And also a coping mechanism for me, honestly, I'm a very blunt person. I always have been. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Here's the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, I think that really helped me through a lot. And as far as my daughter went, you know, um, it was probably easier, honestly, back then because she didn't really know what was going on. This time around, she's four. She knows a lot more, you know, but this time around, you know, I've been through the loss of control. Um, I'm now on disability and social security, so I have nothing to lose in terms of the job. That's done and gone. In the beginning with this diagnosis, I just wanted to be out in nature for whatever reason, I will tell you. I wanted to dig my hands into the dirt, and I think I came to much more of an acceptance of that balance of God, but then also mother nature and what she can do for me and that connection with others. Um, and, you know, trying to face the ego and letting go of that, because I think that's also a big portion of it in many ways. And I'm not afraid to leave this world. I'm afraid of leaving my family behind. And you have to honestly, I think, go to some of those really dark places that you don't want to go to. And you've got to face some of those things. And I will tell you, I have more good days than bad now and more good weeks, honestly, than bad. Um, I have horrible days still. You know, two days ago, I woke up and it was just one of those days and I cried and it was horrible. And then um, I lost my cancer hero that day, which some people may know, Chiara. Um, she was a huge advocate 
her triple negative hormone and she was a, um, she was flat and, um, it just broke my heart. And I knew that one was going to be hard on me, you know, but I'm open with my daughter. Of course, she doesn't know I'm terminal. And I think that she's a very smart girl. And I don't say that just cause I'm her mother. I think she's getting to the point where she realizes that cancer kills people. I pray that I have the words when that day comes and we have that conversation. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, well, while, while we're, while we're at it, let's keep talking about resources for a minute. Um, so, and, and I guess in spe specifically what I'm curious about is like, what are like sources of support, good sorts of support that people living with metastatic breast cancer might Yes. So first off, I think it's very important that um, you find what works for you. You know, I think we all have different things in terms of coping. So like I said, I have found art. I found meditation. I have found different things that in the past I did not do from a physical perspective or mental. Um, but in terms of support, you know, there are several Facebook groups, like I said, that you can go on and search for. Um, I am part of several. There's times that I snooze them in all honesty um, because, you know, there's times that I'm watching women die literally every day. And sometimes it's just too much for me. Um, and, you know, I've also become very close with some of them with, with some of those women um, in terms of, you know, we FaceTime, we Messenger. But I would also say be cautious, you know, because as with anything, there may be people on there that are not legitimate and, you know, maybe looking for things from you. And if you feel in your gut, it isn't right. Or if you feel that it's taking too much out of you, then you've got to put yourself first too sometimes. So I've had to personally learn to balance that. Um, I also now see a cancer or a psychiatrist and a psychologist that are associated with Kennestone Hospital where I go and they solely deal with cancer patients. I really wish that I would have done that the first go around um, because they understand more, you know, specialized what we're going through. And in terms of my prescriptions, she works back with my oncologist. So she knows what meds, you know, are going to work with the chemos that I'm on, um, what are more risky in terms of heart rate, whatever the case might be. Um, so that's been a huge support for me. And like I said, I, I would really recommend for people to do. Um, and, um, you know, I know there's support groups that you can do in person. And, um, you know, there's also, once again, many books that you can read, you know, there's sources through Susan B. Komen, the American Cancer Society, you know, all of those places. And then you can also go to, I think that um, most hospitals, I believe, especially if they have a cancer ward, they do have a cancer social worker or a cancer social working team. Um, and you can go to them and they have a nutritional list oftentimes, you know, because I think that oftentimes is not spoken about enough. So I made an appointment with her um, the sec when I was stage four. Um, they often offer cancer yoga at the hospital sometimes. You know, they have the um, Feel Beautiful Today. 
So if you go to them, they can actually give you a printout of resources that are, you know, across the U.S. or also local um, and you in, in touch with people that can help you financially, that can also help you, you know, with the mental aspect. They can potentially come in and, and do meals. Um, you know, they can also come in and potentially do like house cleanings. So I would definitely say get with your cancer social worker at your hospital. And if they do not offer one, they should be able to send you, you know, to somebody that can give you some of those resources. Um, so I definitely took a lot more advantage of that this stage, you know, than when I was stage two. Um, when I was stage two, I think I went more with like the Facebook, you know, um, and I'm very lucky personally that I have an amazing support system. You know, I know not as many women are that lucky. I know that many people unfortunately go through divorces, you know, and their husbands leave them in the middle of this. And I, I can't imagine. And, um, you know, I, I, I have an amazing support system in terms of friends and there's times I call them or my girlfriends and say, I need a weekend, like, or I need drinks. I need just over here and hold me while I cry because I'm tired of my husband, you know, having to deal with it or he needs a break. Um, so find your people, you know, wherever that might be. And, um, and like I said, there's so many resources, Google cancer resources, um, or at you know, so, um, but I find that so many people do not realize that any of that is out there and it, it, there is so many things available to you. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good support out there and, and I would certainly encourage our listeners to start with the Susan G. Komen website and, and see what, what's there and what's available. So, uh, Rachel, this has been fantastic. Uh, I just want to know, do you have any, any final last uh, thoughts and words of wisdom that you might like to share with someone living with metastatic breast cancer? I don't think it's a one answer fits all is, is my advice to people. You know, meditation may not work for you. Essential oils may not work for you, but they might try new things. I never would have said that I was an artist before this. Now I actually have some people, maybe they're being nice because I have cancer, but you know, um, who are offering to purchase my art, for example. As a mother, I did want to share this. I, I found a book that's called The Story of My Life. It's, a story is in you and it has to come out. And it gives you prompts, you know, that's like, for example, discuss how you learned about giving to others. Tell me about your childhood favorite bedroom. I am writing this to my daughter, you know, then that away, whether something happens tomorrow, something happens in 20 years, even somebody that doesn't have cancer. I think this is really cool. I want her to know my family's history. I want her to know those inner thoughts, you know, that I have. And I plan on writing some of those really hard letters of, you know, um, when I get the strength, honestly, of open this on your wedding day or open this when you graduate high school. I'm not going to say mental is all of it because of course it's not, but I really think it's a huge, huge portion of it. And you also have to let yourself feel those emotions, like I said, and go to those dark places that you don't want to go sometimes. 
going to those and releasing that for me personally um, has been very huge for me in my spiritual growth. And also, if you have a partner, you know, really, really try to help them get out and do other things beyond this. I tell my husband that all the time because, you know, there's been times he's literally sat here and held me while I screamed, this isn't fair. He needs that outlet as well. And I know, and we're, we're very open, but at the same time, he needs that outlet too. And we had a friend who lost a wife in a different tragic way. I can, I can't tell you how happy I was when my husband went to the car him and came in and I could tell he'd been crying with him for the past hour. But I knew that meant he was talking to him, you know, even my daughter, you know, I'm looking out for some of those signs that if she needs psychological help as well, because it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard on everybody. I try to tell people, please still treat me the same, you know, because they're, I, I'm a very giving and empathetic person. And that is part of my, like I said, the way I feel my gift back, but also watching my codependencies, you know, and knowing when to shut it down and um, be kind to yourself. Just be kind to yourself because there's going to be days that you don't know how you're going to do this. And there's going to be days that you want to give up, honestly. And there's going to be days that you're like, I don't know if I can do chemo anymore, but I feel like, okay, I have those days. Now it's time to pull up my big girl panties and I got to push forward, you know? So find that, that thing that pushes you forward. My goal, my daughter just entered pre-K and I want to see my daughter graduate high school. And I may be crazy for thinking that, but damn it, that's my goal, you know, and great goal. Yeah. Every year, you know, like I said, even this year, seeing her enter pre-K, that was a step that a year and a little over a year ago that I didn't know if it was going to even happen, you know? Um, so celebrate those things because cancer is very ugly, but it can also be a gift and it can also be a very beautiful thing if you can find those, those things and hold on to those. Well, Rachel, this has been really fantastic. I really appreciate all the things that you shared. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom in it and, uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank y'all for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com. Thanks to Lily Oncology for supporting the Real Pink podcast. Join Lily Oncology in raising more awareness through education, more research, and more dedicated solutions for metastatic breast cancer. Together, we can do more for MBC. Join the conversation at the More for MBC Facebook page.